I'm going to read out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. You can look at it on the screen. In this message series on the journey, last Sunday we talked about change. I shared with us that the amazing change that's coming to Oasis Church, a facility behind the mall with 1,100 parking stalls, over a 30,000 square foot building, over double the sanctuary size. Our four-year cafe will be together. We'll have fellowship, not so sporadic of services, and we can really gel our family together on a larger scale. It is phenomenal, and uh, it's coming soon, very soon. I don't want to put a date on it, but... Uh, we're really, really pushing by God's grace with the spirit of Nehemiah to get it done quickly so we can get over there. But the scriptures tell us that in order to get things done in faith, we have to walk in it. As a matter of fact, we have to walk by this thing called faith and not by sight, our natural sight. And in this journey series that we started last week, today I want to talk to you about calling it like God sees it. So often we're told to, I call it like I see it. We're not to do that. We're to say to the weak, I'm what? Strong. We're to say to the poor, I'm rich. We're to call it like God sees it, not how circumstances see it, not how our natural sees it. We're to call it like God sees it. Father, thank you today. We're going to call it like you see it. The God of the impossible, to see the the unbelievable grace that we can experience and the healing and the perseverance and the, and the joy and all the things that we can't see in the natural. You give us those promises for their yes and amen. And Lord, help us today to see what you see for our lives, our family, our ministries, our home, and let us see what you see for our health. In Jesus' name and all God's men and women said, amen. You can be seated, turn to your neighbor and say, you're better looking than I remember and sit down. Now, if you're going to walk by something, you've got to have sight. The Bible tells us we're to walk, but we're to not walk in our own strength, our own sight. Because if we walk in our own sight, it builds forth self-reliance of our own strength and our own understanding. As a matter of fact, the Bible says His ways, meaning God, His ways are not our ways. As a matter of fact, His ways are higher than our ways, Isaiah tells us. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so is God's ways greater than our ways. So we have to learn to call it out like God sees it. And God gives us a roadmap in this journey called life, how to live a life of faith. Because faith will start out before you ever know how it's going to turn out. I've learned throughout my journey of life, when I'm a believer, faith will not demand a miracle. It never does. People say, well, I want a miracle. I have faith. Faith doesn't demand miracles. Faith creates the environment for miracles to happen. That's why church services like this are so important. Where we're not, we, we're having a form, like many churches all over the, uh, the world, in America, they have forms, they have songs, they have singing, they have sitting down, they have clapping. They're forms, and there's nothing wrong with the form. That's why you can go to many churches, and the form is the same. But we're not today denying the power of God, the power of God to heal, the power of God to provide, the power of God to give direction, to give discernment, to give overwhelming favor. That power we receive it by grace. It creates an environment for miracles to happen. That's what faith does. Faith receives it as it comes from God. I believe that there's another deeper level of faith also. Many of you have never heard this, but I believe that faith is responding to something. It responds to God's love. It's responding that God loves me, 
He cares for me, he's for me, and he's not against me. That's why when people have wrong forms of godliness, in other words, they come out of forms that are denied this and forms that deny that or forms that are very liturgical or are very, are very clinical, if you will, they sometimes have trouble responding to faith that God loves me, he cares for me, and he has my best interest, and he knows exactly what I need, even though I don't understand it and I can't see it. That's what faith is. Faith is trusting God, responding to this fact that God loves me. It reminds me of the story in the Old Testament of a man by the name of Abraham. Abraham, the Bible says, he is the father of all who believe. Abraham, he looked for a city whose builder and maker was God, and he looked for it by absolute faith. Father Abraham, many call him, he's the father of the Jewish nation, but he's also the father of all who believe. This is Rosh Hashanah. This is the Jewish New Year. It has started now. This is a season change. And if you don't understand our Jewish faith, it's hard to realize your Christian faith because it all starts with this man by the name of Abraham. Abraham takes a journey and he takes this journey into the unknown. God tells Abraham, I want you to leave your country, I want you to leave your family, and I want you to leave your father's house, and I want you to go to a land I'm going to show you. A threefold separation, country, family, and father. Now, why did God tell Abraham to leave his father? Because his father was a worshiper of idols. Now, that's important because follow me into a land I will show you. God's telling Abraham, I want you to start walking by faith one step at a time toward the destiny I have for you. That's why the scriptures say the path of the righteous grow brighter and brighter and brighter. I don't believe the path is brighter way down the road 50 yards. I believe the path grows brighter each and little every little step you take. Remember that old Bobby Brown song? Every little step I take, you're to take that little step. I wish I had rhythm. I would bust it on you. I got white man syndrome, and it ain't happening. But he would take that step of faith. That's what the scriptures say. The path of the righteous grow brighter and brighter. The scriptures also tell us the steps of the good man or woman are what? Ordered of God. And so are the stops. God tells us the steps. He tells us when to stop. The Bible says that Abraham did something amazing. He received his full inheritance when he gave up his right to choose. This is a representation of God's amazing power called grace. Grace has to be received in faith, responding to this fact that God loves me, he cares for me, and he's for me, and he's not against me. And Abraham received this full inheritance when he did something. Many of you don't know the story, but Abraham, being an Eastern society and being a Jewish uh, uh, nation and, and in an Eastern society, the eldest has the right to choose first and to make the first choice. So in other words, Abraham and his herdsmen got into a dispute because when, when Abraham left for this journey, he took, his, he took his nephew Lot. And when he took his nephew Lot, he took Lot's family as well. And when he took Lot and his family, they had a dispute over where they were going to go. And being an Eastern society, Abraham being the elder, being the, the one who should make the first choice, and to decide which land that he wants to go to, he has the right by, by law, if you will, by society, to make the first choice. But he shows you and I something called grace. He lets Lot choose the real estate that he wanted. 
And Lot chose the beautiful plains of Sodom and Gomorrah. It appealed to his eye, the scriptures say. And when it appealed to his eye, God told Abraham, Lot chose, I'm paraphrasing, Lot chose, now I want you to lift up your eyes, Abraham, and I want you to be responsive to look north, south, east, west. All the land you see, Abraham, it's yours. I'm going to give it to you, to your descendants. Kings are going to come out of your loins. Presidents will come out. This will be a nation like the stars in the sky and the sands upon the sea. What's so important about that? Sands mean natural. Stars mean heavenly. Sands is the natural land. That's the Jewish people. That's the land of Israel. That's why this is not a political issue. You hear everybody trying to make Israel and our stance for Israel a political issue. That's nonsense. It is a Bible issue. You're to stand for those sand and you're to look to the stars. The stars represent heavenly. It represents the, the kingdom, God's people, the, the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, stars and sands. God says, full inheritance, I'm going to show you something you've never seen before. But Abraham had to do something. He had to let go what the natural was to get a supernatural inheritance, a full inheritance. Do you know the word lot means veil? like a veil of a curtain. And as soon as Abraham sent this veil away, he gave up his rights. He showed grace. God showed him his full inheritance. That's why some of you, you have lots. You have veil for that, that keep you from experiencing your full inheritance, the fullness of God's joy, the fullness of God's peace, the fullness of God's kindness. You're letting this veil keep you from experiencing this tremendous grace of God, this blessing of God. When you let that thing go, let that person go, that circumstance go, that past go. Let God take you to a new direction. You'll experience things you never thought, dreamed, or imagined. Because when you release what's in your hand, God releases what's in his hand. And what's in his hand is greater than anything that will be in our hand. And sometimes I've learned that God has to take people from you so he can show you what he has for you. God has to take people that you love, people that you respect, people that may have done things, maybe that weren't quite right, but you love them, you respect them. Sometimes there are people in your life who are a veil that keep you from seeing God's perfect will for your life. That's important to know because if God is trying to take a person or persons from you, can I tell you, let him. And if he's trying to bring people to you, can I tell you, you need to let him do that right now. You have to get a person to become friendly, inviting. It's some of you, you're looking for people, maybe a husband or a wife. You're, you're single and you're ready to mingle. Hey! We don't flirt to convert around here. There's no such thing as missionary dating, but I will tell you that if you, if you want to have relationships, you've got to start off by being friendly. It means smile. It means, it means be friendly. You know, that's the first step. Don't go around looking like a bulldog baptized in lemon juice. How are you doing? Glory to God. No, no. Be friendly. Show yourself friendly. The Bible says he who needs a friend, show himself friendly. You want a wife? Show yourself friendly. You want a husband? Show yourself friendly. You want a friend? Show yourself friendly. An old maid was asked why she's never been married before. And she said, well, what do I need to be married for? I got a stove that smokes, a parrot that curses, and a cat that stays out all night. What do I need a man for? <sighs> Thank you.
But I think to have the best relationships. How many of you are in a relationship right now? No, no, I'm not talking about you're all in a relationship. You have a wife. Some of you have a husband. Some of you have brothers and sisters. We're all in relationships. You have relationships with church members. In a relationship, to really have a good relationship, it requires nerve. It requires stepping out and doing something you've never been done before. It's doing something different. If you want an exciting life, you got to do something you've never done before. It's like that old adage, if you want something you've never had, you got to do something you've never done. That's why it amazes me when people who have been married for a long time and they kind of get their life in a rut and I've seen it over and over again. They get into a rut, they're married for a long time, and so instead of making changes in the marriage, their irreconcilable differences cause them to get a divorce. And after they get a divorce, they usually find themselves going to the store, going to the mall, getting a new wardrobe, taking the one that they've been wearing since Noah got off the ark and throwing it away. The guy specifically, now that he's gone through this separation, he finds himself suddenly, unexpectedly, finds himself, he's got a personality now. Go figure. The guy would just sit there all day, come home from work, and be going, eh. Now he's suddenly got a personality. He's got a new wardrobe. Now he's going out on the scene. He never left his chair before. But now, because this change has come, now he's finding himself going from scene to scene, looking like he's God's gift to women. My thing is, if you just would change while you're being in that marriage, maybe your circumstances would change before you have to change the whole thing. Maybe it starts with us. Maybe we need to change. God wants us to have the best, the best relationships with our brothers, our sisters, our husbands, our wives. He wants us to have the best relationships but with our coworkers. But we have to sometimes do things a little different. The scriptures say quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Doing something different before, telling it like God tells it, seeing it like God sees it. Why do people lose their content or become content going in circles? The answer is they lose sight of a goal. They get content with day-to-day -day life because they lose sight of a goal. The children of Israel did the same thing. They lost sight. I talked about it last Sunday. They lost sight of the promised land of flowing with milk and honey. They left Egypt. They longed to go back for it because they forgot about Canaan. Canaan was there, but they forgot about it because they got so familiar with the desert. They got so familiar with the purple. They got so familiar with the location. And they got so familiar with the miracles of the cloud by day and the fire by night and God dropping manna out of the sky every single morning. And they got comfortable and content with the anointing and the familiar. They were married to a routine. They got into a rut. They literally adjusted to the wilderness and they forgot about the promise. Has that happened to you? Have you got so comfortable with your sickness? Have you got so comfortable with your dysfunction? Have you got so comfortable with your day-to-day -day life that you forgot about these promises of God, the yes and the amen? You forgot about the miracles of your forefathers. You forgot about Christ being the same yesterday, today, and forever. You forgot about no good thing he withholds for those who diligently seek him. Have you forgot about the miracle of the loaves and fishes? If he provided before, he'll do it again. Have you forgotten about the healing of the broken heart? Have you forgotten about the healing of the cancer, the diabetes, the leprosy, the heart disease? Have you forgot about the God who fills you with might and power? Don't forget about the God of your father, the creator of the universe. He is mighty to do the impossible. Let's put our hands together and thank God for his promises.
You know, God's looking for a people who will launch out and believe that word from cover to cover. Believe those promises. He's looking for a people who are kings and priests unto God, not a people who are old sinners saved by grace. You're no longer an old sinner saved by grace. You're the righteousness of God in Christ the Lord. You need to square up your shoulders, lift your head. You need to start speaking differently and receiving God's best. It's one thing to believe for the best. It's another thing to receive the best. It's one thing to say, man, I, I, I'm believing for it. I'm believing for it. I'm believing for it. I'm believing for it. But it's a whole nother thing to receive it. You see, you've got to receive what the, what the man of God, the woman of God puts into your spirit every Sunday. You've got to receive it. It's one thing to hear it. It's another thing to receive it. God's looking for a people who will launch out and do something they've never done before. He's looking for a people who just might start a city center, who just might get apartment buildings for women and children, who just might take on and want a, a, a tithe of the city. That means 10% of the population to have an encounter with Jesus every single week. He's looking for a people who will believe the Son of God at His Word and the promises of God are yes and they're amen. Who believe for a people who will turn loose this world and the things of this world. Who don't rely on themselves in the arm of the flesh, but rely on the Son of God, the Creator of heaven and earth, the one of might and majesty, the one of power and purpose, the one who's come to set the captive free. I'm preaching a lot better than you're talking back. I might stop if you don't talk back to me. Now think about this, because as we get ready to close, if I can get the worship team kind of coming back in a few moments, I want you to know to walk by faith and to take on this new season that God has put upon you. This is Rosh Hashanah. This is a new season. This is, this is a new season, not only naturally, but I believe for us spiritually, this is a new season. To take on a new season, you've got to have pillars. And the pillars of a new season are the Bible. To make a, a, the reading of the word a daily occurrence. The Bible needs to have a time and a place every day. The Bible says his word in Psalms 119 is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's God's word. It's not your opinion. Your opinion is like belly buttons. If you don't clean them up, they stink. Especially if you got an Audi, you're just weird. But the word, I don't even know why I said that. It's gross. The visual, I'm just disgusted. Get back to the anointing. Okay, help me. But the Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. God breathed it, the pneuma, the breath of God. He breathed all scripture. It's given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for instructions, for correction, for instructions in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's God's word. It's the compass of our soul. If you're led by feelings, you're going to be off the deep end. If you're led by your emotions, you're really going to be jacked up. you got to be led by the Word of God, by what you know, because God's Word said it, by not what you feel. You can't go by what you see. You can't go by what you feel. you got to go by what you believe. you got to go by what you believe. When a builder, and we've been 
Since 2010, we've been building stuff. You know, we built the church in the south side. We built the children's wings. We built the, the cafe. We built the, uh, the, 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 the chapel. We, we've redid this sanctuary, the foyer. It's been a, we built the Little Lord's Gym in 2009 and 10, the 8,500 square feet. We built the monstrosity of the city center, 30,000 square feet. Now we're building the new Oasis Church. It's been one building thing after another. And I realize God's a builder and I'm a builder. Not just a builder of people, but I'm building stuff for people to come to. And I believe more and more people will come as we build God a house. But when a builder takes his level out and he places it on a piece of lumber, he discovers that the lumber's not straight. He doesn't throw the level out. He straightens out the lumber. But sometimes we do the opposite when God shows us something or we don't like something that we read or something that we're told by the man of God, the woman of God. We just kind of throw it out. So we just go here. We go to a different church. We go to a different relationship. When God says, don't throw the level out. Straighten out the lumber. When you read the book, the book starts to read you. That's why it's alive. And you need to know the difference between the rhema and the logos. The logos is the written word. The rhema is the revelation word. It's when you read the logos day to day, now a rhema sparks up and you can have supernatural power because you've got the rhema word of the living God. It's something you need to go by. And if you're really going to succeed and have a faith walk this next season, you got to have a place of prayer every day. Jesus, the Bible says, he was God and man, but he went alone every day with his father and had a time of prayer. A time of prayer. Prayer doesn't change God. Prayer changes us. Prayer does not get God to do our will. Prayer gets us ready to do the Father's will. When we pray, God begins to work. But when we try to work, God begins to rest. And so often we try to work this thing. And when I'm talking about building, I'm not talking about building where I'm working in my own flesh. I'm talking about building things for God because you prayed through it. You, you put it on God's list and said, God, do you want this? And when you, when you begin to be a person of prayer, it changes things. You know, the Bible says, don't be anxious for anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication with what? Thanksgiving. So the peace of God that surpasses all understanding can do something. Guard your heart and your mind. Why is that so important? Because if in the enemy gets in your mind, he'll take you out. If he gets in your heart, he's going to take others out because people will not want to be around a person with a contaminated heart. Even if they love Jesus, contaminated hearts repel people because they start sharing out of an open wound. And when they share out of an open wound, it's contaminated. You have to be careful of people who try to contaminate because they've got an open wound. And when we give it over to God, it's what Jennifer said, we're we're trusting God. It's an act of humility when we cast our cares upon the Lord. That's humility. When we try to do it in our own strength, that's, that's, that's pride. That's arrogance. We're not to lean in the arm of our strength, our flesh. We're to cast it upon the Lord. And that's how you truly walk in faith. And that's how we, we become people that get God's blessing. And when you don't know what to pray and you run out of things, because I pray every day for my family. I pray, help me, Lord, to raise Jennifer right teasing. Help me to help me to raise the church. Help me to, you know, do the things. But I run out of things to say. 15 minutes. If it's been a difficult week, 20 minutes. Some of you are real squirrely, so it takes me a little longer to pray you through. 
But then I don't, I, I'm out because me no speaky Spanish fully, very poquito. So I can't speak in Spanish in my prayers. I barely speak English. I mess up words. But then I have this wonderful thing given to me because I've been saved called the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, Romans 8, 26 says, the Spirit knows my weakness. My weakness is right here and right here. I don't know how to pray as I ought to, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for me according to the will of God with groaning and utterance. So I get to speak in my, in my heavenly language. And friends, if you've never done that, we don't need to have this type of, uh, this, one of the things that has been so mistreated and so mistaught is what people believe a spirit-filled life is. The representation of a spirit-filled life is you walk in love and you walk in love and, and God gives you these wonderful gifts of grace, the gift of salvation. We call it sozo, healing, preservation, soundness, safety, and deliverance. You may call that a five-fold ministry when the gift of the prophet, the evangelist, the teacher, the pastor, the working of the miracles. These are all gifts of God's grace. These are not predicated upon your works or my works. These are sozo. These are salvation. And when I exercise my sozo, I have an opportunity to receive those gifts. So when I don't know what to pray, I don't have to have this great encounter of God, even though that's fantastic when it happens, but I can speak in my heavenly language. See, some of you, all you need to do to speak in that unknown tongue is not somebody to tell you you're not saved if you don't speak in tongues. That's bad teaching. That's silliness. That's stupid. They need to hear the grace of God, the gift of God, the love of God. All you have to do is stop speaking English, no Spanish, and let that spirit well out of you and out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. When you don't know how to pray, you just start speaking in your unknown tongue. You say, well, I've never done that. Then you need to do it by faith. You say, what type of faith is that? The faith that receives Jesus is the same faith you receive those gifts. It's no different. You say, well, what about Acts chapter 9 when Ananias laid his hands upon Paul? What about Acts 2, 38? Oh, we'll hang our hat on Acts 2, 38. It says, receive the gift of the Spirit and be baptized. It's talking about a cleansing out so you can get all the gifts of God. It's not predicated upon a work. Don't let anybody lie to you and think that your gift of your wonderful gifts of God are predicated upon your works or your revelation to excel and to grow. It's a matter of what you believe. Walking by faith and not by sight. And to truly walk in that faith, you have to be a person that reads that word. The Bible says, forbid not the speaking of the tongue. And I'm not referring to a tongue in a service by some unwitted prophet that's not under spiritual authority of a church that mouths off and thinks they have authority. They don't have spiritual authority unless the pastor gives them spiritual authority. I'm not referring to that. I'm referring to your heavenly language where God gives you this wonderful gift. You don't know how to pray. I don't know how to pray. 15, 20 minutes, that's it. Then I just kick it in and I can pray with an understanding, not in my own strength, but spirit talking to spirit, God's spirit and the Holy Spirit talking together. What a wonderful combination. And another side note, the devil can interpret that language, by the way. He knows English. He knows Spanish. He knows all the language of man, but he does not know the language of God. He does not know the language of God. Some of you have never heard that before. How many of you, that's revelation for you? It's true. And to truly walk in faith, be a person of reading that word, a person that prays, and a person that gives. 
Givers always gain. Givers always gain. Giving empowers God to give back to us. When we give, God says, I'll give it back to you. Press down, shaking together and running over. I may not know you're giving, but God knows you're giving. I may not know all the things you do for the Lord, but God does. God knows the seeds that you sow. God knows when you get to heaven, you know, we just took a big offering for Convoy of Hope. How many kids are gonna get fed because of your giving? How many kids at the city center? You know, that costs millions of dollars, millions. The, the reason we didn't move Oasis Church supernaturally quickly because of the city center, we knew we had to help those kids get them off the street. And that took giving. Those people that give, God says, I start fighting for them because givers always gain. That's why the Bible says you'll reap what you what sow. You'll reap what you sow. And that's why I always tell Jennifer when things get tight in the church, in the ministry, in our own family, I said, I got a lot of seed out there. I got lots of seed out in this community. I got lots of seed in the ministry. I've given my life. I've given my finances every day. Every dime, 10% goes back to the Lord, and then the offerings come out. Why? I put seed out there because the tithe is not mine. It's God's. I'm a saved. People say, when did you start giving? When I got saved. When you're saved, you give. Everything that God controls gives. Everything that God controls gives. If there's something within you that doesn't want to give, that something in you is demonic. Everything that God controls gives. God gave his son. His son gave his life. Trees give off oxygen. They give off shade. Everything that God controls and creates gives. That's why Oasis Church is best days are ahead because Oasis Church gives. It gives right out in that community. It gives right out on those nations. It gives to the nation of Israel. It gives. It gives the wonderful family, the Stillmans. It gives it to the, to the city. And I can't tell you enough how important it is for you to earn, uh, learn to give and realize that it's learned. Giving is learned. Learned. Let's close our time. Y'all getting something out of this? Let's close our time this morning. If we're really going to walk by faith and not by sight, we got to have that compass of our soul, the Bible. We got to be people of prayer. When we stop praying in the spirit, uh, stop praying in the natural, we don't know what else to pray. Just kick in that spirit. You say, well, I, I don't know how to do that. Just when you drive home. You know, when I got filled with the spirit, some of you need to hear this. I was already filled at salvation. But when I received that heavenly language, it wasn't because anybody laid hands on me. I was driving in my 1974 Cadillac Lowrider. Coupe de Ville, baby. Somebody gave me a cassette tape. That's how old school I am. Clint Brown played it. I'm listening to worship music. I'd never listened to that type of music in my life. And I'm listening to that. And I'm driving in my car. 1974 Cadillac Coupe de Ville, lowrider. It was nice too, by the way. And I'm driving. And I just, I'm telling God, I love him. Lord, thank you. You saved me. You love me. You've called me. I've watched my daddy get saved, my family. And I just, and I literally said, Lord, if that word is true. And I've been devouring the word. I said, if that word is true and you fill people with the spirit that they get these wonderful gifts, would you feel me? And I just, by faith, I stopped speaking English. And I don't know a lot of Spanish. I know a little bit because of where I was raised and my background, but I started speaking in that tongue and it just came out of me and it just, it flowed out of me. It wasn't, it wasn't something that had to be, it wasn't predicated upon salvation. 
I mean, that's a bad teaching. That gets, it's so been mistreated here in Stockton. It's so been abused. It's so been, and then, and then they go to the extreme and don't even teach it, where you don't even hear about it. But the Bible says the gifts and call of God are without repentance. If the gifts and the call of God in a person's life are out repentance, how about God's gifts? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means the gift of sozo is as real today as it was in the Apostle Paul's day. The gift of healing, preservation, soundness, safety, and deliverance, it's all for the taking. The Bible tells us in Corinthians of all the wonderful gifts of God that he gives to his church. The Bible tells us to do the work, and this is my last point, the work of a what? An evangelist. That's a gift when we become witnesses unto the Lord. My prayer for us at Oasis Church that people would look to you and they would look beyond you and see the wonderful church that God has put in Stockton. The church that started, but then it had to change a course and say, it's going to do something different. And here we are. We all have a personal obligation from God to be witnesses. A witness is an evangelist. An evangelist is somebody who tells what they've seen and what has been done. And when you become an evangelist, that's when God says you become just like me. The Apostle Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, do the work of the evangelist. Why? Because when you do the work of the evangelist, would you put that scripture up, please? When you do the work of the evangelist, you are literally doing the will of Almighty God. Go to the next slide, please. When you do it, and in, in the Bible says, and to be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist to fulfill your ministry. I don't have the sphere of influence you have. I don't have the ministry you have at home, at work, in your neighborhood, but you do. And you're to do the work of an evangelist to fulfill your ministry. Will friends call you friend on judgment day? There are journeys that are taking place, people this year that have been so near and dear to us, have died. People who have gone on to the next life, they've taken a journey. For some, they've gone into the paradise of Almighty God, into the arms of Jesus. But unfortunately for others who do not receive this word, they go into another place, a place called hell. People say, well, I don't believe in hell. Unfortunately, it's still there. And people still go because what we believe has no bearing on truth. And this word is true. And the Bible says, let every man be a liar when it comes to this word. And we're to do God's work, his arms, his hands, his feet. We're to do the work of him. The Bible says, he that wins people to him is wise. He wins souls is wise. Wouldn't it be wonderful to bring a person every week to church, a family member, a friend, a coworker, an enemy? Bring them, bring them to bring them, to fill them up in your car. Don't be selfish on the water. Don't be selfish on the oasis. Bring them, tell them, and ask them, do you know the Lord? Can I pray for you? Can I help you? Is there anything I can do? Not with a scowl on your face, not telling them rules and regulations, God loves you, but if you did that to me, I'd show you my flat one and leave. God loves you, but, oh gosh. I sat in a group of ministers recently in Stockton and they're on the table and they're, not, they're talking that nonsense. I wanted to flip over the table like Jesus. Say, you religious freaks, stop it. God loves you, but when they 
The Bible says to look upon us. When Peter and John were going to the house of God, the temple, there was a beggar there asking for money. And they said, look upon us. When they look upon you, what should they see? The presence of God, the love of God. Not a, not a, not a perfect person, but a forgiven one. They're to look upon us and they're to like what they see. But when they see you because you're an evangelist, whether you believe it or not, do they see somebody grumpy, grouchy? I love Jesus. Notify your face, man. I love the Lord. Telling people to do this, do that, do this, do that. And some people go, man, with religion like that, I'd rather be a drunk. At least I'd be happy on the weekends. Who wants religion? when it's tied to all these rules and regulations and it's tied to do this and don't do that. How silly is that? Look upon us. And if people like what they see in you, they'll look a little further and they'll see who's on the inside of you. Amen. You receive that word today?